Let us uh, go to the Lord in prayer uh, before we head into his word. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to head into your word. It's not a word that has to remain foreign to us or be in a different language, for you have written it in ways that we can understand, using metaphors and themes that, that we can track with, and, and so we thank you for that. We pray that you would use this time to, to speak to each of us. Uh, your story of grace, your story of confession, your story of mercy, which comes in the form of Christ. In his name we pray, amen. You know, I love the messy parts of Scripture. It's The messy parts of Scripture are kind of like this. It's like having a children's message giving the child a piece of candy and then sending them back to the parents. You always know or generally know when a child is sugared up, something weird's going to happen. The, the parent's going to be sitting there trying to keep them in line or, or whatever, and, and it's going to not be as orderly as what you would have hoped. And that's kind of like Scripture, because when, when we read the pages of Scripture, we encounter stories that are kind of messy, stories that need to have some confession that come after them, where people have, have lived the wrong way. You know, it's not just a book that has happy endings, good stories, perfect people. In fact, it's much opposite of that. There's only one perfect person in the book, and a bunch of other people that need God's help, that heed his mercy and his grace. And I think that's what, for me, makes the Bible more believable, is that there's messy stuff in it. Because it, it's something we realize and we see every day. We see messy things within the world, things that go in our world, even among our own life, that we need to, to be honest with ourselves and be honest with God about and and. And go to God in confession. When we admit to ourselves that we're not perfect and we can't do it on our own, we go to God. And, and we see that happening in the book of Nehemiah as we've been going through it. We saw it in the first chapter of Nehemiah as, as Nehemiah heard about the destruction that his homeland was in and how one of his immediate things that he did was was to pray to the Lord, confessing not only the sin of Israel as a whole, but his participation and his father's participation in that sin, confessing to God. As we continued through uh, the book of Nehemiah uh, two weeks ago, we once again saw confession. It was as Ezra stood on this platform so he could be seen by all the people and they read the word of the Lord from the morning when the day began all the way until midday. And, and the people prostrated themselves. They, they laid down on the ground weeping because they had this realization that they had not been living the way that God had desired them to. They hadn't been, been following the law. And, 
And they learned this not only from the word, but it was from the Levites who were trying to explain the word to them to help them understand what it means. But they were also reminded of God's faithfulness. Nehemiah didn't leave them to wallow in the sorrow of knowing that they had done wrong. Instead, he, he turned the people to the Lord and said, it's the Lord who is your strength. It is the Lord because of his mercy, because of his unfailing love that you and I can rejoice, he says to them. And so then they have a, a feast. They eat food and celebrate and they continue to read God's scripture. And, and so then as they continue to do this, we come to chapter 9 where we're going to uh, continue to follow this story and where we're once again going to be met with a story of confession. And we're not going to, in the past weeks, we've, we've read the whole passage and then looked back at it. That's not what we're going to do this week. This week, I invite you to open your Bible, uh, if you got it, to Nehemiah chapter 9. Uh, otherwise, grab the Bible in front of you. It'll be on page 390 in there. Um, and we're going we're gonna to kind of go through this thing a little bit differently. We're only going to read the first three verses this time. Uh, and then we're going to reference a lot of other stuff that is in uh, this passage. So we'll start with Nehemiah 9. On the 24th day of the same month, so this is the same month of which they had this seven-day feast, the same month where they had met for seven days straight to read uh, the word of the Lord and to have the word of the Lord explained by Ezra and the, the Levites. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of the Israelite descendants had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession, worshiping the Lord, their God. We'll head back to this first verse, maybe. Yeah. Sackcloth and ashes. How many of you wear sackcloth and ashes? Sackcloth and ashes is a, a choice to be made consciously in the morning for them. It's not a, a normal set of garments for them to wear. It's not like they go in a closet, they didn't likely have those, and, and pick that out at all. They consciously got up in this morning on the 24th day of the same month that they've been hearing so much of the word of the Lord being taught, and they wore the sackcloth, and they covered their head in ashes, dirty things, honestly, because of likely what they had recognized that they had done. Sackcloth and ashes are a, a, a symbol for the people of, of mourning, a symbol of, of repentance, a symbol where they are recognizing physically with what they're wearing on their body and on their head, something that is going on internally in their heart and mind in their orientation to God. The other thing that we notice is that they 
they separate themselves from the other foreigners. Now, if you, if you think back in Scripture with me, God chose his people from initially really one person, this guy named Abraham and his wife Sarah, and he was going to begin this nation that was going to be separate and distinct from all the other people in the world, all the other nations that were around them. And, and what happened, as we saw, is that throughout the story of Israel is that they didn't always stay separate and distinct. They always seemed to somehow gravitate to worship some of the same gods, some of the, the idols. They, they ended up, as we heard several chapters ago, they, they were unjust with their own people, causing their own people to be slaves among them. And so here, this is the people recognizing that they had not been distinct. This goes with the sackcloth and ashes idea. They are repenting and recognizing the Lord has chose us to be a separate and distinct people group. We're, we're not supposed to look like everyone else. We're not supposed to live like all the other nations, and, and we haven't been doing that. So let us separate ourselves from all those within our midst, and, and then we can go to the Lord and confess to him. Confess to him our, our sin, the, not only my sin, but the sin of my family and the sin of my ancestors. I wonder how many of us love talking about sin. I think there's an uncomfortable feeling when we use that word, sin. Perhaps it's more uncomfortable when you're not talking about, you know, the sin over there, but your own sin. I think that's because we don't necessarily love to admit when we're wrong. The Lord was gracious today and has Emily in the nursery because if she was here, she would say, that's me. I'm, I'm the guy that I, I don't love admitting when I'm wrong. Does anybody else not like admitting when they're wrong? Okay, I'm glad it's just not me. You know, I heard a, a pastor, and I, I don't recall who it was, speaking about being wrong, and he was sharing this practice in his family uh, where whenever they were wrong in the family, parents and kids alike needed to say the words, I was wrong. And it was his kid's favorite thing whenever the dad was wrong to hear the dad say, I was wrong. And he goes on to, to share this story about how there was this time where he was wrong and his kids were like, dad, you need to say the words. And the dad's like, yeah, but that's not the point. You know, he tries to sidestep this idea about being wrong. I wonder if that's sometimes the way we are in our own life. We recognize the wrong that's been done, but we kind of want to just maybe not acknowledge it to ourselves or other people and, and skate around the topic. But for the Israelites here, they, they knew that they couldn't skate around the topic. When we think of confessing, it's really 
acknowledging to God what he already knows about us, isn't it? We believe that, that God knows everything, and so he already knows the secret desires of our hearts. He already knows the sin that we have in our life, and so confession is really turning to him and saying, God, you're right. These, these are the ways that I'm living that are wrong. For the people of Israel, it would be, Lord, we've been worshiping perhaps multiple gods. We've been taking advantage of people. We haven't been seeking justice for even our own people. We haven't been the people of restoration that you have desired us to be. And what we find in the rest of this chapter, really, verses, I think, yeah, five on to the rest of the chapter, is the people acknowledging the Lord's faithfulness and their faithlessness. They acknowledge all the ways where God had continued to seek after them and pursue them and care for them and give them mercy and grace and love and care. And then they acknowledge all the ways where they fell short. And I think it's, it's time where they kind of wonder, Lord, are, are you still our God? Amidst all the unfaithfulness that we've had as your people, will you still remain faithful to us? Now we're going to take a few moments to look at all the different areas where the people talk about their unfaithfulness to God. I'm going to read these verses without much commentary like I would have done if I would have read the whole chapter as once, but I wanted these sections to, to be together. We're going to go to verse 16. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked. They did not obey your commands. Think about stiff-necked people. They're unwilling to change, right? You, you can't get them to move from, from whatever point they're on. They're going to be stuck there. You could think of maybe Pharaoh, uh, when the Israelites were in Egypt, he was a stiff-necked man, unwilling to let the people go. Arrogant people having too much confidence in their own abilities. Maybe people thinking that they're the ones that deserve something they don't. Not obeying the Lord's commands. It continues, they refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed. They became stiff-necked again in their rebellion, a rebellion directly rebelling, rebelling against who God is in return to slavery, so to speak. Verse 18, they cast themselves an image of a calf and said, this is our God who brought us up out of Egypt. It says that in doing so, they committed blasphemies. And they commit those blasphemies later on. If we look at verse 26, but they were disobedient and they rebelled yet again. They turned their backs on the law after they had received it. They began killing the prophets that God was trying to use to warn them of, of what they were doing. And they again committed awful blasphemies against the Lord. 
we continue, verse 29, God wanted them to turn back to the law, but they became arrogant again. They disobeyed the commands. They sinned against God's ordinances. They stubbornly turned their backs on God. Here's that word again. They were stiff-necked. Refused to listen. They were those stiff-necked people that don't want to move from that spot that they're in. Verse 30. Here we hear that the Lord was patient for them. He continued to send prophets to them to warn, and yet Israel paid no attention. And so the Lord gave them into the hand of the neighboring peoples. That's the times where they've been taken off into exile. Nehemiah 9.33 says that they that God acted faithfully, and yet they continued to act wickedly. The leaders and the kings and the priests, the ancestors, they all of them, they, they chose not to follow the law. They didn't pay attention to the Lord's commands they, they, or statutes that God had continued to warn them and to, to bring to their attention. And the, the last one we're going to look at is even while they were in their kingdom enjoying God's goodness to them and, and the spacious land and the fertile land that they gave, even when they were experiencing all of these good things that the Lord had graciously given to them as a gift, they chose not to serve Him. They chose to remain stiff-necked, as the passages said earlier, and to, to remain in their evil ways. It kind of seems like a, a lot of ways that the Israelites chose not to follow God and heed his way. It seems like they always and continually desired to, to choose their own way because they were stiff-necked and arrogant, maybe. They didn't want to be obedient. They didn't want to follow the word or the path to life that God had, had given them. They didn't want to pay attention. And here the, the Israelites are making it all plain, all the ways that they failed. Speaking those words to each other, we failed. I did what was wrong. We did what was wrong. You know, perhaps in our life, we don't make golden calves and commit blasphemies in that way. But I wonder if there's an aspect where maybe a little bit in us, there's a, maybe a kink in our neck. Kink in our neck that is developing into maybe having a, a stiff neck as we like to worship our own autonomy as we worship our desire for the freedom to do whatever we want when we want it I think there's an aspect in my life I like to do what I like to do you know on a Saturday it'd be great to just go out in the garage with no kids no anybody and 
clean it or organize or build or do something that I want to do that I want to do for myself. There might be down, deep down in me, and maybe, maybe it's in you too, deep down in me, this desire that uh, all my friends and in all my family would somehow start to revolve around me and desire to do the same things that I want to do when I want to do them. That, that I would be the, the center of attention and that my autonomy and my freedom to do what I want to do would be, would be allowed by everybody around me. Anybody else want to do what they want to do? Nobody? Okay, good. I'm not the only one yet again. I wonder if, if that idea of the freedom to do what we want, when we want, and how we want can perhaps enter at some point in time our life with God. For Israel, it was, it was something that was combined. Their, their government was kind of formed by the, the, the word that God gave them, right? Uh, and it was, it, was, it was a prophet who would, would say that this individual is the king, and, and the king and the prophets would work together, and they would have worship, and, and government would be the same thing. That's not necessarily the way things are right now. Our, our private life aside could, could, could remain separate if we desired, but it seems like that private life, the life where we want to do what we want to do when we want to do it, can seep into our spiritual life with God. Maybe perhaps creating, well, we want to worship God in our own way, in our own time, whenever and however it's convenient for us. Maybe we become a little more stiff-necked and don't like it when something adjusts a way that we're unfamiliar with. Or maybe, maybe we get a little bit more uncomfortable and frustrated when we start considering confession within the church because for some reason it makes us feel guilty about what we do in our other life. That uncomfortable feeling. Sometimes we, we don't know what that uncomfortable feeling is and I'm I'm thinking maybe that uncomfortable feeling is the Holy Spirit convicting us. <laughs> the Holy Spirit working in our lives, recognizing those areas where we've been stiff-necked, where we've been unwilling to listen, where we've been disobedient, where we've not been listening to the prophets that the Lord has been sending to his people, where we've been arrogant and disregarding God's word. And yet, in the midst of, of this, in the midst of the arrogance and the disregard for the word and, and the disobedience and Israel's continued stiff-necked nature, um, there's words that we hear in this chapter that talk about God and his faithfulness. So let's take a, a moment to look through this passage and just point out those areas where we hear about 
who God is, what his character looks like, and how he continued to reach out to this stiff-necked, arrogant, blasphemous group of people. Nehemiah 9.6, you alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts. The earth that is all in it, the seas and all that's in them, he's the one who gave life to everything. And, and here we have the people recognizing that, that God has gifted them with everything here on the world. He's the, the Lord God who, who brought their patriarch out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He's the one who brought Abraham out, started the whole nation with him. The Lord is one who found his heart faithful. The Lord is the one who decided to make a covenant with Abraham. A covenant that said he would bless all the peoples in the world. A covenant that said that he would end up having the land. And it was the Lord who would continue to keep his promise because it was the Lord who was righteous. We see that the Lord saw the suffering of the ancestors in Egypt. We know that when he heard the suffering of the people in Egypt that the Lord raised up Moses to be the leader who would bring the people and lead the people out. And when they, when they got to the Red Sea, the Lord once again heard their cry because the people said, you've just brought us out here to be slaughtered. But no, the Lord heard the cry and, and he opened a way for the people to walk through. You see, he divided the sea so they could pass through it on dry ground. But the pursuers were unable to pursue anymore. As they, they continued their journey, the Lord brought his graciousness to them by leading them with a pillar of cloud and by night a pillar of fire, giving them light in a way to take. We read that he comes down from Mount Sinai and, and speaks to the people from heaven. He's the one who, who graciously gave the law the, the way to follow. The, the commands that were deemed good and a good way of living. And he gave rest. He made known to them the Sabbath. Here's these, these people, these Israelites, that had only known work for 400 years as slaves. Being Things, maybe not even considered people who just do stuff. And here the Lord is going to graciously reorder the community to give them rest. To say to them, you don't have to work day in and day out. I have provided a day for you to have rest with me. As they continued to experience difficulty they complained about being hungry, and the Lord met that complaint with bread from heaven. They encountered areas that had bitter water, is what Scripture says, and instead of uh, having no water, the Lord gave them water out of rocks. 
It was the Lord who gave them possession of the land that he had promised way back to Abraham. In verse 17, if you look at it, it begins talking about how the people refused to listen, how they were stiff-necked, and, and how that uh, they were people of rebellion, and yet it leads to the second half, which says this. But you're a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. Because of God's great compassion, he does not abandon them in the wilderness when, when they complain. Once again, the pillar of cloud is mentioned, God's way of guidance. God continues to, to give them things by giving them the good spirit to instruct them. He continues by, by moving the other nations who were in the land out of the way, moving them to, to remoter places so that the Israelites could take hold of the land. Verse 23 references the covenant that God made with Abraham, making the children of Israel as numerous as the stars in the sky. We looked at verses 27 through 31. We hear about how the Lord continued to give them saviors and he delivered the people from those times of oppression and those times where they were, were in exile in other nations. In all that has happened to us, they say, you have remained righteous. Is that part of the verse that we looked at earlier? You have acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly no matter how many times it seems that Israel fails and you could go into individual stories and, and look at Abraham and the ways he failed or Joseph and the way he fails or or other individuals in the way they fail and what you will find is that God continues to be slow to anger and abounding in love it was God who continued to be gracious and merciful and compassionate towards his people. It was God who continued to pursue his people and lead his people even when they were stiff-necked and arrogant and went their own way. And that's the same story that is for us as well. And we know a little more of the story because we have the benefit of, of the New Testament. The reality is, knowing the rest of the story, what we'll find is even though God is faithful and even though the people will next time we uh, gather together, look at chapter, uh, I think, 10, 11, and 12, they're going to commit themselves to the Lord and, and, and say, we're going to follow the covenant. Uh, by chapter 13, they fail already. And even though that's the perhaps same story that we have in our life where we commit ourselves to God and then we realize the more we get to know who God is and how we live, that there are small little ways where we fail, that God will continue to remain faithful. He will 
continue to reach out to those stiff-necked people, those arrogant people, those people who are not listening uh, at a certain time. And this time, his faithfulness comes in the form of a person. Throughout the Old Testament, the people needed to follow the law. They, they tried to do it perfectly, and when they didn't, they, they gave sacrifices for, for atoning for their sin. But now, God comes in an entirely different manner. Instead of us working to come up to him, he worked to come down to us, bringing his faithfulness in the person of Jesus. It's like God knew that we couldn't do it. It's like God knew that at times we, we don't like to listen and that we like to go our own way. And, and so, so he brought Christ to live that perfect life on our behalf. So he, he, instead of trying to bring us up to heaven by we living a certain way, he brought heaven down to us. Not only did Jesus live this perfect life in a way to give us his righteousness, but God was giving us an example of how to live. He was giving us a person with flesh and blood that walked on this earth experiencing the same things that we would experience. To, to give us an example of how we too could, could live in a way that, that honors God, not by our own strength, but by the power of the Spirit. It was by the power of the Spirit indwelling in Christ that we know that, that he went on to do miracles as well because you don't find any miracles before he was baptized and the Holy Spirit came down upon him. And it's that same Spirit, because of Christ and his righteousness in your life, that same Spirit comes in you to allow you to live in a way that honors God to allow you to, to get out that uh, massager, to get out that, you know, that thing that pounds and, and pound that stiff neck out of your back of your head that, that you can now live in a way that honors Christ, that looks upon others as more important than yourself. So here's the thing. Between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, it it still requires confessing. Some of it's the same. We, we confess our sin. They confessed sin in the Old Covenant, and we say we confess sin to the Lord in the New Covenant. But there's another confession we make. It says, if you declare with your mouth, now the English Standard Version says confess. So, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. A different confession than what the Israelites would have known before, but a deep confession. Deep confession that doesn't require perhaps trying harder, but it involves trusting more deeply. We look at all those times throughout history where God continues to reach his people, we can go to today 
in all those times where, where God, through Jesus Christ, has reached out to people, saying that you don't need to claw your way to heaven. You don't need to have everything sorted out right away. You don't need to uh, have your house clean all the time or your car clean all the time or even, even have everything in order in your personal life because you're not clawing your way to heaven. When you confess Christ, it's God bringing heaven down to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your continued faithfulness amidst faithlessness of your followers. Lord, by your Spirit, work within our hearts. Work with our hearts that we may trust you more deeply, that we may follow you each in every day of our lives, that we would, we would seek to live as Christ lived and love as he loved. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.